hey, Corey, how do you feel about disco? I'm all right with it, Rachel. I like a lot of disco. Love um, disco. Can we have a little disco? I think we're on the last one we're going to record today, Brad, and I could use a little, some, you know, some kind of really good disco. Something up. I'm your boogeyman. That's what I am. Sure. Did you know that that song? Do you know anything about that song? I know I don't. nothing about I that heard, song. Uh, I think it was our buddy Alan Hunter yammering on the radio about this the other day that that this song was, maybe it wasn't him, but anyway, who cares? We'll give him credit and he'll take it. It was about the DJ who first played uh, the first song by, who is it? Who does, who, who does, who does uh, I don't know. I'm your boogeyman. Uh, we got to look this up real quick. Look it up real quick. Okay. Because it's, uh, oh my gosh, this is what I do as a teacher now too, which is a lot of fun for my students, is I'm just old and I just scan my brain. And I know this, it's one of those things that I know off just off the top of my head and how to how I'm forgetting this now. I'm, I'm your boogeyman. I'm getting insla- insane clown posse lyrics. I oh, holy shit. Right. Maybe we should switch gears. No, it's, it's Casey. I think it's Casey and the Sunshine. Yeah. Casey oh. and the Sunshine. So the DJ that first played Casey and the Sunshine Band's first hit, the first DJ to play it. According to Wikipedia, a guy named Robert W. Walker. Yeah, and famous DJ. And he was the DJ. first to play Get Down Tonight. And so therefore they made a, they wrote a song about him, I'm Your Boogeyman. And even though that took me a lot of scanning my brain, we, we got it. We turned to the internet brain. So you're listening to some disco, but we're actually going to talk about movies. Movies and, and disco have a lot in common. And we're going to say, what's up, ding-dongs? It's time for Side Talks. Here, Here we, go. we go. Here we go. Roll your mouse over the biscuit maker. Uh, uh, of, uh... <laughs> Echo, Foxtrot. Man, that's weird. Oh, we forgot to say, I'm Rachel Morgan, your Corey Craft. People Nobody cares. know by no this one point. Ca- I think it's less that they know and they just, they don't care. But let me tell you something. Okay. I am going to, this is man, that's weird. That segment that mm, sometimes is weird. This is a this is a weird one, though. This is a little bit all over the place. The weirder, the better. I went down a, 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 a sli- well, I can't even call it a, a rabbit hole. It was more like a, do possums live in holes? I don't know. It was more like a chipmunk hole. It was something not as as deep and windy as a rabbit hole. You went to the World's Fair, in other words. Oh, my God. No, I did, I did go there, and I wanted to come back. So I, because of a film that I'm going to mention here in a minute. Okay. I was became very interested in Huey Lewis. <laughs> Listen, we all end up here just at home uh, interested in Huey Lewis, so, whether we're watching Back to the Future or American Psycho. Yes, I very, very interested in Huey Lewis. And the American Psycho thing is a whole thing. Like we could, that's a whole episode, sure. right? So maybe we'll do that another day. So I'm going to put that on pause. But what I want to tell you about Huey Lewis is this. First of all, he's a handsome gentleman, but he does look perpetually 50. Uh huh. He's, he he's always kind of when he like was at the height of you know I want a new drug and just he was incredibly fit, but just perpetually fifty looking. And I I did an image search for young Huey Lewis and what came up was a perpetual fifty year old, including in his high school picture. Well, listen, I mean you know he, I like that about him. He wears it well. I'm not I'm not. This is not a complaint. Fifty's a good age. That's great. 
But I, I went down the rabbit, the chipmunk hole with him because of this, <laughs> because he's in a film, he's an actor as well as, uh-huh. of course, an international music superstar. And I want you to know that there's not a whole lot of interesting shit about Huey Lewis. So <laughs> this is where I'm getting, where, where I, once I go down the path, I'm like, I've just got to commit. I've got to commit. So I'm going to bring this back around as I do. Okay. But I want you to know he was born in New York City. Sure. His father is Irish American from Boston. His mom was Polish. He grew up in Marin County, California. Everybody getting a little bored now. That's what I'm telling you. He's not that, he's like, doesn't have that sort of a background. His parents, this is where it may get a little interesting for you. His parents were divorced, uh-huh. and they were divorced in part because of an affair that his mother had. Whoa. So put pause on that for a second. He ends up going to prep school in New Jersey, which was something that got thrown about in the courts mm-hmm. about whether or not his father, his father, his father or mother were deciding what, who wanted what. I don't know, but that, it was an argument. He, I want y'all to know this, got a perfect score on the math portion of the SAT. Sick. So. This brings me to a very important part of this story. Okay. Which is that, as you are well aware, at the beginning of Shortcuts, Huey Lewis, are you ready? Get out the dick jar. We can see Huey Lewis's dick at the beginning of Shortcuts. Yes. It's very visible. He's pissing, and he ends up pissing on a corpse unknowingly. And so if anybody out there is in the mood to see the dick of somebody who got a perfect score on an SAT, this is your man. Huey Lewis is your man. Are you just dropping <laughs> coins in the jar now? Thank you. Yeah, we're out. That might be, listen, Corey, Corey, there are lots of fetishes in the world. And there are people out there who want to see the dick of a man who scored perfect on the SAT. And I'm here to give you this information and help you. I mean, I'm here, I'm apart here to direct from that, you. Shortcuts is really good. It's a really great film. He went to Cornell University, okay, as one who makes a perfect score on an SAT and is later going to put his dick in a movie. <laughs> Does. So here's the part that I told you to earmark. His okay. mom, this is where he has a life-changing kind of deal go on. Uh-oh. Because his mom had an affair with beat poet Lou Welch. I'm not familiar with Lou Welch. Nor am I. But he's a beat poet. Okay. A beat poet who also had connections to the Grateful Dead. Huh. And so... His mom then was very good friends with the Grateful Dead's manager, and Huey got kind of wrapped up in music via his mom's boyfriend, who, right. who eventually became his stepfather. Sure. Yeah. And so they were close friends with the Grateful Dead's manager, and, and of course, all that comes with that. I feel like that's a bit of a family there, right? Did, did Huey and, and Jerry hang out? I didn't get to that, but I would imagine so. Yeah, that's that would seem right. Huh. That would seem right. So let's get to shortcuts, right? Because that's where he actually is in Back to the Future, as you mentioned. He's in that film very briefly. He's uncredited. Yeah. He didn't really want to be on screen, but he did think it was funny. The Zemeckis really thought it was hard hitting to have Huey in that film, which I think is funny. Zemeckis is a as a he's creature. An odd, he's an odd fella. And so Huey did it because he, he thought it'd be a little bit funny. And this clearly didn't want to be credited, but he does go on to be in films. And so, I, of course, the, the probably the best film he's in, maybe the only really good film he's in, is in Shortcuts. Mm-hmm. And so here's the connection that I am going to bring you real quick. Okay. The, the man that's weird part of this whole thing. In Shortcuts, Altman loves musicians. So who are the other musicians in Shortcuts? Lyle Lovett. That's right. Oh, shit. Tom Waits. Of course. Yeah. Of course. And then jazz singer Annie Ross. 
Okay. And my favorite, and here's where the jumping off point, the connective part comes, because I went, I did go look and see if Huey Lewis remained friends with any of these folks, and there are some connections between Huey Lewis and Lyle Lovett, but nothing terribly substantial. But uh, cellist, uh-huh. is that how you say it? Cellist. Yeah. I always want to say celloist, but it's cellist. Laurie Singer. Laurie Singer's a cellist. And actually is a cellist. Right. And of course, she is the star of Footloose. Yeah. And she's in Shortcuts. She's not in a lot. And she's in Shortcuts and she's in Footloose. And so that's a jumping off point where I was like, well, that's interesting. That is Huey interesting. Lewis doesn't bring us a whole lot. Well, almost, you know, again, revisit the beginning of Shortcuts. But Lori Singer here is the jumping off point. And I want you to know that she was, like Huey, very smart. Cello uh, prodigy. Yeah. And was playing professionally in a symphony at age 13. Her brother, Mark Singer, was an actor. He's in V. Beastmaster, right? And Beastmaster. He's in V, though, with Dominique Dunn. So there's so he knew there's Dominique Dunn, R.I.P. connection and yeah. R.I.P. And so he start, she started taking acting lessons because she had seen him making money and was successful. And so, yeah, she beat Madonna out for the role in Footloose. Wow. So the world would be a different place, at least the pop world would be a different place if Madonna had gotten that role, but she did not. Yeah. And here's a funny, fun fact that I'll, and then I'll jump back to Huey with one more thing real quick, but here's a funny kind of fun fact. Okay. So she is 14, she being Lori Singer, is 14 years younger than John Lithgow and only nine years younger than Diane Weiss. Yeah, they they also had kind of perpetual fifty face, kind of perpetual sixty face. But and I think Lori Singer looks really young, so that's yeah. what. But they both play her parents in Footloose, and the age difference there is is very minimal there. And finally, I will just leave you by bringing it back to Huey by saying that Huey Lewis, one of his big regrets in life is that apparently Coca Cola came to him in the news, has banned the news, uh-huh. and offered him a contract to you know be in some. Coke commercials and whatnot, and he said he didn't want to sell out, and they turned it down. Mm. He was like, we were making pretty good money as a band. He's like, which now, looking back, it wasn't very good money, but at the time, it felt like they were finally making good money as a band, and he didn't think they needed to do it. And he was like, man, I could have, I could have like 10 houses. Instead of just like five houses? That's right. Well, I kind of respect that. Yeah, you know, he doesn't respect his decision himself. He's, he's like, he's like, fuck, I should have sold I mean, out. The thought that Huey Lewis didn't want to sell out is kind of a funny one. Anyway, that's what I have to bring you today. I, I told you it was a bit of a scattered one. It's a bit of a weird one, but I do feel like we roped around some weird stuff, and I feel good about it. There are probably like thirty or forty weird little stories about shortcuts in and of itself. Oh, for sure. I thought that too. As I was going down, I was like, now this is a whole different rabbit hole. Yeah. But I did like highlighting the musician part. Well, when you start looking into Tom Waits' connection to, to Hollywood and to the movie industry, oh, that's, a, that's a whole nother thing too, He's so right? Good. He's so good. It's a whole nother thing. Lyle Lovett as well. Yeah. So Huey's just one of the talented musicians in that film. And now a look at what we're watching this week. Well, now is that part of the podcast where we talk about what we've been watching, and I'm going to tell you really quickly. All right. That I, and I'm going to keep this one short because I've only watched half of this because I fell asleep. Uh oh. It is how I got to my interest in Huey Lewis. Uh huh. There is a film from 1998. Have you seen it called Shadow of a Doubt? No, Shadow of a Doubt. Yes, or sh- I'm sorry, Shadow of Doubt. No A in there. No, Shadow of Doubt. No. Oh, it is not good. <laughs> it is not good. It stars Melanie Griffith, uh, Tom Berenger, mm. and Huey Lewis. And yes, it Whoa. has to do with a billionaire daughter who's murdered and Melanie Griffith is is defending 
this rapper and I, I mean you really kind of it's a vanilla ice kind of dude you kind of need to see it for that reason. And there's a lot of flashbacky weird sequences where Melanie Griffith has been in bed with her former clients that are all rapists and murderers. It's very it's a, it's a bit odd. Oh, you but, don't say. <laughs> I mean, it's even odd, but I'm saying it's even odd for the era. And it wow. got me thinking about the podcast You Must Remember This. Right. Which focuses most recently, even though it's got a few months on it now, on erotic 80s and sort of sets up the landscape for the films that are post-sexual revolution 80s era, interesting sort of stakes in regards to feminism. Like uh, nine and a half weeks and uh, the the Adrian Lyne stuff. Yes. And well, and it lays down, it lays down the foundation with 10, the Bo Derek film. Sure. And moves very quickly then into American Gigolo. And so I'm thinking, it, I first, let me just highly recommend this to you. I'm only, I went back and revisited it and what I realized is I had started listening to it. I'm in a band and ship and I don't know if Shadow of Doubt is in, is, is covered. It's probably knowing, uh, knowing Katrina Longworth, she's probably hit, hitting a lot of titles. She's sure. probably going to hit Shadow of Doubt because it yeah. is, it is strange enough for that. I think it's significant enough for that. Um, even though it is, it is in the late nineties, she will still sometimes make these connections outward, right? And so, I don't know, maybe it's mentioned, maybe it's not. It certainly is a product of what we saw in the 80s. And I'm thinking what might be kind of fun, I highly recommend this podcast. Sure. What I think might be fun, and this is a bit of a stepping away now just from what we're watching and into maybe some, like, a programmer's corner moment. I think we should do a series that connects to the podcast. Yeah. And screen some of these really interesting, strange films that, by the way, are way more sexually provocative than anything you see today. Well, that's that's a low bar to clear. Unfortunately. I mean, truly, it is. But it is interesting the the way the way the evolution of sort of the way we handle sex in films. Yeah, it, it's a very interesting series, and I would love to put on the screen something like an like American Gigolo or Ten or some of these things too. For one, that I'd love to revisit. But also some I've never seen. Yeah. What do you think about that? I'm I'm all about it. Um, not least of which is I would want to dip just a toe into the 1990s to put Basic Instinct on the big screen. Yeah. It might be a good one to end it with, which yeah. we we've, we have put it on the screen before. But it would well, be fun to see I it again. Should, I missed that one. Damn it. Uh, that's right. Very when briefly. Benedetta came out, yeah, I, I couldn't briefly. make it to, to Verhoeven, the, a bit of a Verhoeven retrospective. It, it's basic instinct screenings. I just couldn't make it. I have to tell you too that hearing the tales of people like Derek, like um, like Bo Derek's husband, John Derek, John Derek, and his bullshit, yeah, that he would just sit Real on something like the Donahue show weirdo. and say. It, it it's insane. I mean, it's no wonder Weinstein got away with what he did. That there's a, it's just wild. It was the wild wild west when it comes to just sexual harassment and bullshit. So there is, you know, the the infamous trilogy of John Derrick movies that are like, look yeah. how hot my wife is. Right. Everybody. I mean, he literally says that he's yeah. like, I know how to pick them. Like he did an article that was like, I know how to pick them, and it's what Bolero, Bolero. ten. Uh, Bolero, uh, Tarzan the Ape Man, yeah, yeah. and Ghosts Can't Do It, yeah, that's which right. has Donald Trump in a supporting role. Okay. Uh, those, three, those three are prime bad movie night contenders because, I mean, they're oh, for sure. terribly, you know, offensive and tone deaf in a lot of ways, but um, but also ridiculous enough to be of, worthy of consideration. 
for sure. And by the way, listeners, podcast at sidewalkfest.com if you're interested in the series. Yeah, hell yeah. Uh, or would like to throw your favorite 80s erotic thrillers our way. We'd love to hear from you. But Corey, more importantly, what have you been watching? Well, I want to regale you with some tales to this uh, of my trips to the cinema. I've seen um, a fair number of movies on the big screen lately, and um, some of them are worthy of cool. uh, merit. So cool. um, I'll start with the one that I, did, I, I liked the least. Um, I was hoping I would like it because it looked charming and fun with an appealing cast, but but it didn't really work out. Uh, and the movie's called See How They Run. It's a new sort yeah. of British 1950s set whodunit starring Saoirse Ronan and Sam Rockwell. Um, I've seen, I've seen, I haven't watched the trailer, but I've seen images from this. They, they're willing to blast those in my face for some reason. I, I wanted it to be, you know, at least mildly diverting and cute. Um, and I suppose it is. But it also kind of possesses a screenplay that's uh, a little too meta for my taste. Yeah. It's a commentary on the tropes of a whodunit in addition to being a whodunit. And look, I'm sorry to say this, but if you're going to do the whole meta whodunit thing, you are directly inviting comparison to Knives Out, and you're not going to win right. the comparison. Right. Um, as cute as this movie, you know, often was. I mean, I, I I was charmed by it initially, but it got worse as it went on. Unfortunately. Yeah. Um, but the other three movies I want to highlight, I really enjoyed to varying degrees. I, I want to spotlight, um, two horror movies out right now. Pearl. Uh, Pearl is one of them. I, I thought Pearl was really, really good. I just bought the hoodie or not the oh, hoodie, yeah. but the sweatshirt where it has the neck being sliced yeah. off and then the shot of the neck actually off. Yeah. Yeah. Why not? That's a gnarly part in the movie too. Um, it's very unlike X in a lot of ways. Ty West's um, previous film from this year that Pearl is a prequel to um, because while X is kind of grimy and Texas Chainsaw Massacre, you know, in its sort of 70 low bu- 70s low budget aesthetic, Pearl is like a beautiful Technicolor movie from yeah. the, the 40s. It's shot like a melodrama. Is it um, as like sexually charged as X? Yeah, in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. Well, I yes. know the Scarecrow stuff goes down. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay, um, I was just curious. That's that's perhaps the most sexually charged moment of the movie. I would say overall it is, it is less about that than X, but there are parallels between X and Pearl gotcha. other than well, the, I mean, the of character course, one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, other than the obvious. Um, I was really impressed with it. I think I like it slightly less than X because X played into my my slasher movie love right. and Pearl doesn't really do that. It's a little different. It's more psychological. But as, you know, a, a one-two punch um, of horror movies this year, Ty West is killing it. Well, Scorsese thinks so. Yeah, yeah, yeah he's right. The other one is a movie I liked a little less than Pearl, but I think is is surprising and enjoyable enough to be worthwhile um, on its own. And I, it seems like everybody really likes this movie a, a lot more than I do, and I like it yeah. just fine. Uh, the movie's called Barbarian, um, yep. which is currently in theaters. Um, and Barbarian is a movie that people have just been saying, look, don't even watch the trailer, okay? Just go see it because uh, – it's such a wild ride that it's best experienced if you don't really know the the many turns that it takes. Yeah. And boy, does it take some turns. Um, the the structure from first time uh, – no, he's not a first time writer-director, but 
kind of a returning uh, writer director, Zach Kreger, who's best known as one of the the whitest kids you know in that comedy troupe. Right. Um, he's done some film stuff before, but this is his first horror movie. Um, and the best thing about it is the screenplay and the structure that the screenplay has in telling what ends up being a pretty wild story. Um, I think its originality has been overstated a little bit because I've seen a lot of horror movies and it's playing in territory that's not completely new, but I will say it's wild that a movie that goes to some places that this movie goes got a wide theatrical release. Yeah, yeah. Um, So on that level, um, mad respect to Barbarian. Um, And then the final movie I want to spotlight is a movie that I just outright flipped for. I really loved it. Um, And it's a movie that um, we are bringing to the sidewalk cinema called The Woman King. Um, I think we're bringing it. We're planning to uh, at this point. Um, but The Woman King is from Gina Prince-Bythewood, the director yeah. of um, Love and Basketball and Beyond the Lights, whose films are mostly kind of low-key dramas. Uh, but she takes a major step into big, broad Hollywood crowd-pleaser action territory with The Woman King, um, with star Viola Davis getting absolutely jacked uh, and slicing motherfuckers up with a machete. And it is endlessly badass i mean look it's just a well-crafted hollywood blockbuster with historical overtones along the lines of gladiator or something like that but instead of being centered on the roman empire or the british empire it's centered in a kingdom in africa with the female warriors that are are sworn to protect the king um and i've never seen a big Hollywood blockbuster with a cast like this that is in a setting in a, in a time and a place like this. Um, so on that level, um, even though it hits familiar story beats, it is endlessly novel and new um, just by who is starring in this movie. Um, it is so entertaining too. Yeah. On that just two two and a half hour runtime, but no but it, two two fifteen. Two fifteen and it flies by. It truly does. I mean you probably won't think so. But I no, I'm a bitch though. Um I, I just really, really loved this. Um it the audience I saw it with was really into it too. A lot of applause. Uh, and people seem to be loving it. And it is in fact the second film of 2022 to earn a perfect A plus cinema score from audiences polled leaving opening yeah. night. You know what the other one is? Top Gun Maverick. Uh huh. So I don't think this is going to be a blockbuster on the scale of Top Gun Maverick because what is? Well, it's it's not going to be because it's going to go on VOD. Uh, well, that's where I really think they're screwing up. Yeah. I really do. They, hopefully, if hopefully Sony has enough faith in this movie to find its audience and really leg out. Um, because it is a crowd I think crowd it's scheduled pleaser. for the thirtieth, and that that's upsetting me. Mm, that's frustrating. But whatever. Well, hopefully. Well, look. I'll just say this: if you have an interest in seeing the Woman King, uh, you got to see it on the big screen, man, because it's for sure super cool. Uh, and I don't think we can convince everyone, but I agree with you. No, we can't convince everyone, but but do try to check it out. Um, so. 
actually, you know, out of those four movies, three pretty strong recommendations for big screen uh, visits. And there's a lot more coming up. We're entering the fall movie season. Yeah, it's, and we're it's getting about a, to go down. Uh, a ton of interesting looking titles. So come on back to the movies, especially the sidewalk cinema is what I'm trying to say. And anyway, that's what I've been watching. Well, thank you for listening to the Side Talks podcast. We are your own personal cinematic Mountain Dew Typhoon Ugh. and Mountain Dew Code Red. Oh, God. Do you know what these are? I mean, yes. I've seen Code Red, like, everywhere. Well, it's discontinued in Australia. I just want you to know. Because it's not real food. They're smarter than us. <laughs> it's a cherry flavor. Allegedly. Do you want to guess what Typhoon flavor is? Uh, no, I don't. You don't I, want to guess? I'm horrified by the possibilities. It's, it's it that, might be is it delicious. that blue raspberry flavor that doesn't exist in nature? No, it's a tropical punch. It's strawberry pineapple. Okay, sure. And just so you know, when I searched it, it's back. Apparently, it went away. But I mention these in part I because didn't of miss this. It. <laughs> because of this. Remember, we've talked about sodas before. Yeah. And I wanted to point out that there is a thing. Do you see this? A uh, new Mountain Dew AM mixology. Uh, Mixology, Corey. Of Mountain Dew and OJ? They, so if you would like to cruise by Taco Bell, because it's only oh, served, Brad, it's only served till 11 a.m., so please make note. Gotcha. It's only served till 11 a.m. Apparently, they can only pour Mountain Dew and orange juice together in a glass until 11 a.m. But it's there for you, Mountain Dew AM, right there, Mixology. That's really going to get your system going in the morning. Why man? would a person do that? <laughs> to themselves, right? Holy shit. So here's the question. Oh. Do you want to be Code Red or do you want to be Typhoon? At least Code Red is a color that resembles a color found in I'll nature. I'll be Typhoon Lagoon. I'm good. As long as it don't have to be Mountain Dew AM. I, I, I've never liked Mountain Dew. I've never <laughs> enjoyed any of these Trucker fucking water. varieties. Um, that sort of like... <laughs> bright neon green sort of lemon lime soda of any type whether it's mr pib or is mr pib one no mr, no, mr. pib's, mr. pib's brown a, yeah. and it's delicious what's the I'll one i'm thinking mellow yellow mellow yellow mellow yellow, yellow. Yeah, all that shit uh i mean i was a i was a child in the age of surge so surge um, is tough man surge yeah. is tough to take it's well it really I'm, killed I'm a, young I, cory craft really prefer the jolt I I can't do any of it. I can't do energy drinks. I can't do this like synthetic poison. Um, I so. love synthetic poison. <laughs> I really do. So I'll just be both of them. I mean, I'll tell you the truth. Okay. I haven't probably had a sip of a Mountain Dew and and oh over maybe a decade. I or maybe I'm lying about that. There's probably been some point when I was just desperate for something that was liquid and it was like there wasn't anything else and I had a sip of it perhaps. Like when your plane crashed into the middle of the desert and all you had. Oh, I'm going to tell you a sad was... story. Like when I'm at school and we have one when I'm there teaching, right? And we have uh-huh. one freaking device that dispenses sodas and I'm 5 minutes till class and the water's out. And Ugh. I just, you know, Something's gone wrong with the water fountain, and I've got to have something other than put my head under the tap. Yeah, that's I a might, really tragic. Story. I don't. I actually don't know that I even then did it. But point is, there might have been a, a case. But I will tell you that when I when I have had Mountain Dew, I actually thought it was tasty. Mm. Maybe that's the maybe that's the Alabama in me, Corey. Well, I bet it's tastier mixed with OJ, so you I could go by Taco Bell doubt to that it, I think check why, it out. This is my point. Why disturb the purity of it? 
Why why f up a delicious yellow drink with orange juice? When you <laughs> said why disturb the purity of it, I got a flash to Ian Holm in Alien as Ash being like, "This organism is pure. It's created uh, just to destroy." Like that's that's the, well, the the thing that that's the vibe I'm getting. I think here. that's the right vibe. And I for my listeners out there who are who like Mountain Dew, I got your back, boo. I have, however, acknowledged that it is terrible for you and incredibly caloric. So I haven't touched it in ten years. But I bet if I had a sip of it right now, I'd be like, mm, "That's kind of good." It eat through the floor like a xenomorph's blood. But I feel like they're basically, you know, them and weed are just basically keeping Taco Bell in business. <laughs> anyway, we're not here to talk I mean, to you I about, think you're right about Taco that, honestly. Bell. We're here to say goodbye to you right now, actually. That's right. You've been listening to the Taco Cast, um, and thank you for listening. Uh, thank you to Batwell Studios for producing Taco Cast. Thanks, Brad. You're welcome. Uh, and thanks to. Uh, Revelator Coffee for sponsoring Taco Cast. They didn't know they were doing that. They thought they were sponsoring you know what, Sidewalks. Though? It's a good point because there's more caffeine in a cup of Revelator than there is in Mountain Dew, and that's what we're really getting at anyway. It's better for you. It really it's is. It's more delicious. It All uh, of those soothes uh, the soul. It's not on... cold, but you could get it cold. I always get, you can it, get it cold. Oh, you're, you're an iced coffee man. I'm an man. iced coffee man all the way. Okay. Now, when it gets super cold outside... There are going to be some days where I get, you know, just your standard um, uh, house blend. I appreciate that. I'm a I'm a total freak that even in a hundred degree weather, I'm just disgusting and I drink hot coffee. That's and I, what I'm, my wife does. I just really can't. I'm Kathleen, I'll have to talk about that because I really can't get away from it. I don't know what it is. I think here's the deal, and I, not to get too much here on the coffee cast now, but it's like habitual, ritual, ritualistic yeah. to me. There's something about having a cup of coffee that just it's about the like process yes. in the morning. It's not just about the caffeine. Strongly is anybody agree. else out there with me? I am very with you. Who is it? Yeah, the act of of preparing it for oneself. Yeah, is, very is ritualistic. Part I love of the, it. Uh, the whole thing. Um, so go to Revelator, let them prepare it for you, but you get to sit and enjoy a delicious cup of coffee. Absolutely. We, we believe in Revelator. And we also believe in you coming to see a movie with us at the cinema. Please. Do Visit we have us to beg? at SidewalkFest.com, which is where the showtimes live. Or check out uh, all the information about Sidewalk via social media at Sidewalk Film on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. We're showing so many cool movies, y'all. Come see one Moon with Age us. Daydream, maybe still there when you're listening. If not, sorry you missed it, man. You because... might have a chance to see The Woman King still. Yeah, I went on the record today in the meeting. <laughs> That's kind of funny to say that anything's putting me on the record. But uh, to say that I think Moon Age Daydream is going to sound better at Sidewalk than it's going to sound anywhere else in town. Well, it's I only really playing at one that. other place in is it really? the city. And spoiler alert, I don't know if I should say this, but I'm going to. It's my least favorite place in the city. So, which is? Which is the summit. Yeah. So don't. Yeah. Sorry. See it with us. You see it with us. It's going to look and sound better and you can get a drink and just vibe out. And also, you can paint your face because we're doing a face painting station. Hell yeah. You heard it here first, folks. And long after that happened. Bye. Bye. Batwell Studios Podcast Division. Your words, our expertise. <laughs>